Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've been on a journey through the stories of Exodus. And uh, like the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, we've been going on our own self-discovery journey over these last few weeks in our lectionary passages. You know, because just the way the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, kind of had this identity crisis going on in the few moments, the few years, the generation outside of captivity in Egypt, we often experience those same kind of identity crises in our lives throughout the years. Two weeks ago, we identified the fear, the panic that the people faced when they found themselves in the desert and all of a sudden nothing to drink. I mean, we're talking about almost half a million people in the desert outside of Egypt with no water. And perhaps this was the first real test, the first real bump in the road for many of the Israelites. All their lives, they had said they trusted God, even in the midst of captivity and slavery, they trusted God. And yet when it came down to it, in the desert with nothing to drink, the panic set in. When life throws serious challenges, we want answers, we want certainty. They were asking Moses, why have you brought us out here to die? Just tell us the answer. And of course, the invitation from that story is a challenging one because we do look for answers. We do look for security. And yet so often, God's invitation is, will you trust me? Even in the midst of uncertainty. Last week, we considered the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20 describing them as the pattern of which God described that we are invited into, this pattern of living. The people of God, through this identity-forming pattern, you know, they, these statements gave them, um, gave them a, a, a background, a steady uh, foundation from which to live life. And we were reminded that we've been uniquely made among all the world to live into this pattern and yet, the fallen circumstances of our lives tempt us into forgetting who we truly are. It's so easy to kind of forget the pattern, to go off on our own. You know, they might even cause us to question, why are we here and what are we supposed to do, right? But by recognizing God's presence among us, in the same way that the Israelites had the pillar of smoke, the fire, course we had Jesus in flesh and blood and now we have the church the body we have these tangible aspects of God among us but by recognizing God among us and by recognizing the pattern that Jesus demonstrated to us we reclaim our identities finding freedom and peace in all that we experience not necessarily insulating ourselves from difficulty because that would be naive right 
but by providing foundation and perspective, we're able to stand in the midst of the storms. It doesn't always feel good, though. It doesn't always feel good. You know those oddly placed warning labels? Have you ever run across some kind of warning or some kind of sign? And you thought, now why in the world do we need this sign? Why do we need this warning? I was thinking of those five-gallon buckets, you know, you get from the home store, those big totes, and there's always that big graphic of a baby inside the tote. Like, why do we need a warning not to put our babies inside of these totes? That's not where you keep them. <laughs> or, you know, perhaps there's that sign on strollers. I don't know if you guys have been around a stroller, stroller lately, but there's really big graphics on strollers these days reminding you to take the baby out before you collapse it. <laughs> don't forget, take your baby out before you fold it up. Like, why do we need that sign? And yet, of course, we need these signs because, as ridiculous as they seem, at some point, someone either purposely or unintentionally let their baby get stuck in a bucket. And Home Depot got sued. Or the stroller company, someone forgot their baby inside and folded it down. There was probably crying and lots of agitation. You know, of course, these warning signs seem ridiculous to us. And yet, they're there because we tend to be sometimes forgetful people. We tend to be troublesome people. Today's passage from Exodus contains one of these cautionary warnings. Like, why in the world do we need to be reminded this? You'll be thinking as we hear this passage. But honestly, it can be true. It can be so core to who we are that in our panic we do crazy things you know this is a hard one for us at times even this week as I was looking over the passages I thought do I really want to preach this but honestly there is a, such a good reminder in here for us so hang with us as we hear this passage I've invited some friends to come help me deliver this passage you guys can go ahead and come on up there's a couple of voices a couple of uh people involved in this scripture. So this will just give us, uh, uh, help us see who the speakers are as we hear this passage. But before we hear the word of the Lord, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, shine your light upon the world and into our hearts that we may be enlightened with fresh understanding. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth, the mercy, and the compassion that's represented in this word of the Lord for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to the people, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
And he took these, and from them he formed them into a mold, and he cast them into the image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought, out, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made the proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. So they rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down and ate and drank. And then they rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored to the Lord his God, and he said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord indeed changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring to his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Thanks, guys. You know, in a passage like this, and oftentimes, you know, in a little peeling back the curtain in, in preaching school, in preaching class, <laughs> they always kind of encourage you to find the, the point of view character from a passage, the point of view from which you're going to approach the passage. You know, as we seek to interpret scripture, this allows us to glean the message and the meaning for us today from the passage. And I think I've heard this preached many times in my life. And so often, it's from the perspective of Moses. <laughs> it's from the perspective of the disgruntled preacher, just really frustrated with the people of God, of which those sitting in the audience oftentimes felt like, okay, I get it. <laughs> We've done so wrong. I mean, after all, how often do we feel like the people around us have completely come untethered? You know, like everybody drank the same cup of crazy juice at breakfast that morning and they've all lost their minds. Like, why are you doing this? You know, whether it's your family or your coworkers or your peers at school or even the people around you here at church, somebody starts doing or saying something and you just don't get it. 
Why can't they just get their act together and stop self-destructing just for a minute? I've also heard from fellow pastors, friends of mine, who at times felt like Aaron in the story, like they were thrust into this position of leadership and authority that they never really wanted in the first place, and the big boss is away, and the people are about to come down on top of them, and all they do is say, fine, I'll just do whatever you want. In other words, they kind of feel kind of beat up and pushed around by the people. Sometimes we might even make the mistake of identifying God in this passage. How many times have you felt the desire to just quit it all, to just throw it all away, to walk away? All your obligations, all the things that you're doing. When things build up, we tend to have that panic set in and we like, I just want to quit it all. That can be a tendency. Whether it's your relationships or the town in which you live or your church or your house, sometimes it might feel like the easiest thing is to just pick up and move. How often, I wonder, were the writers of Scripture kind of projecting their own angst in this way upon the character of God? Like in that discourse between Moses and God, I wonder how much of what God was saying was really what kind of what Moses was feeling projected upon God. That would sure help so many of the passages in the Psalms and many of the stories throughout the Old Testament, these characterizations of God that kind of seem like they don't line up, that would sure help them make a lot more sense, right? Well, today, as we have done in the last few weeks, we're going to anchor ourselves in the point of the people. And I'm right there with you. We are the harried and worried, and sometimes panic-driven, sometimes kind of lunatics <laughs> of the people of Israel. And it's pretty easy to beat ourselves up, and that's not what I would like us to hear this morning. It's not another one of those, well, I'm just scum, and so we're not beating ourselves up this morning, but we are trying to be honest about our tendencies. The Bible gives us a clear picture of this passage of time. And though there's these chapters, and so we're not quite sure sometimes the exact moments or the number of hours and the number of days, but here we are in Exodus chapter 32. And just in Exodus 20, a few chapters earlier, a few months earlier, we're not sure. We're literally told, don't make idols. And what's the thing we ask Aaron to do? To make us a calf. You are free from false made-up gods. Instead, you can know and worship the exact God who loves you and rescues you. You are free from manipulating God into doing your bidding by using their name against them or others. For they have promised to care and to provide for you in every situation. And yet, what do we do the moment we're left on our own? the moment we begin to feel insecure, we make actual idols. <laughs> we take off our earrings and we make a calf. And this represents the idols that we have in our hearts. You know, the, the calf is just an outward manifestation of what the people were already carrying. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? One of my favorite preachers, 
Reverend Alicia McClintock. She has this saying uh, when she refers to these passages. She says, you can take the people out of Egypt, but taking Egypt out of the people is much, much harder. All throughout scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and beyond, all throughout church history, God has been calling us to be aware of our Egypt problem. That's the invitation today. For as much as we desire to be free and to be whole, we equally desire to be safe, to be in control, maybe to let someone else just call the shots. And we'll just show up here and make our bricks. At least then we would have water to drink and food to eat. So when we are uncertain, we tend to make for ourselves answers, solutions, either disposing that onto others and asking others just to be in charge, or we make up our own answers. We make up our own solutions rather than trusting on God. We shift our attention, our trust, our hope away from God onto these man-made systems, onto these man-made structures, onto these man-made solutions, into idols, into golden calves. Many of you remember the old story of Jacob and Esau from Genesis. There's a lot going on in this story that we could focus on, but just the snippet that came to mind this week as I was thinking this over Remember Esau, the older of the two, the firstborn, he's out in the wilderness doing manly things, entitled to his father's birthright, entitled to the firstborn's blessing, and yet he comes home, and the first thing he does is trade it all away for a bowl of stew. It sounds ridiculous to us. He comes home, he's been out in the wilderness, I don't know how long, or what that means, what he was doing. But he comes home, Jacob is making stew, and it just smells too good. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to I'm going to die here if I don't get some stew. Sure, you can have my birthright. I mean, if you have brothers in your household, if you have boys, if you've been around boys, you can probably picture the scene pretty well. The older of the two comes in, give me some stew. And the younger says, sure, give me all your toys or give me your birthright or whatever it is. What good is all these toys anyway? If I'm going to starve to death, sure, you can have them. Expecting that maybe he can just beat them up later and take it back, right? But, you know, but I got to eat this stew. It seems absurd. Why would Esau do this? Would he literally starved if he had just waited another few hours I don't know what it was like in Jacob's household, if they all got around the table and had a dinner together or not, but I mean, surely they would have cared for him, right? What is it about our impatience that causes us to sell our birthright for a bowl of stew or for whatever it is? What is it about uncertainty that causes us to pass on the trusting of God onto other man-made solutions? ones that we create and make up for ourselves? Why do we turn from our creator to trinkets of our own making? In our passage today, Moses is only away from the people. It feels like a few moments, the way the passage describes it. It could have been a few days. It could have been a few weeks. But why do we jump to the conclusion that he's dead and gone 
And that now it's time for us to take things into our own hands. Well, we happen to be prone to idolatry, as scripture reminds us. We want quick fix plans to our problems. In life, at home, at work, at church, in ministry, we know that scripture encourages us to be patient, to trust in God. We know that God has promised to take care of us and to care for us and to give us all that we need. We know that God has asked us not to fret, not to worry, and yet, how many would be willing to say, I have a worry problem, <laughs> I fret. Scripture exhorts us in many places, but Romans 12, to live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, to set aside our worries, to set aside our fear and our patience and trust. But how do we do this? Again, in the same passage, it says, not by conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds of Christ in us. It sounds pretty here on a Sunday morning, but on a stressful Monday afternoon, I get it. Israel, we have a decision to make. Would we, will we trust God? Or would they, or will we fall back into our old ways and like the nation of Egypt that had enslaved them for over 430 years, would we construct solutions of our own making? You know, these man-made solutions are so often what we chase. We look for worldly solutions, world, worldly patterns that we can copy and paste the character of God onto. This copy and paste tendency. You know, this can get us in trouble. It's crazy to me that as soon as we twist Aaron's arm into melting our earrings into a golden calf, we immediately say, look, there's the God who saved us. No, it's not. <laughs> That's a golden calf we just made from our earrings. But we say, look, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Perhaps if we spent less time trying to copy the characteristic of God onto our man-made solutions, we might actually be able to rest and trust in him, the one who asks us to simply let go whether it's our self-sufficiency, our ability to amass riches, our elected officials, we so often look to systems to take care of us. Rather than allowing God to do the caretaking and allow us to work through the systems to enact his kingdom. It's a subtle shift. We're not saying burn down all the systems. It's simply a question of where does our trust lie? And it really does make all the difference. It really does make all the difference in how we then behave and how we work. The humbling invitation is this, if I could simplify it. First, can we take a minute and admit that we have a tendency to be short-sighted? Taking matters of life and faith into our own hands. 
And second, our fear and our impatience causes us to chase after short-term fixes, often of our own making. Just recognizing the tendency is the first step. And third, that we tend to copy and paste the work of God onto all kinds of earthly approximations, which distract us from the true source of hope and trust that we find in him. What God and Moses and Aaron would love for the people to grab onto, I think what our encouragement today is don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for approximations. That's hard because sometimes those are the easiest, the, the, short, the, the most immediate satisfaction that we look for. But don't settle. But then we have this whole closing account between Moses and God, this whole conversation they're having, apart from the calf making and all that. And it's not just this impactful passage in order to identify the, the waywardness that you know, we tend to experience. Instead, this conversation, this discourse between Moses and God is revealing a vital element of the kingdom, a vital way the whole kingdom works. How is it that numerous times in Exodus we see Moses seemingly talking God out of doing bad things? Why does Moses need to remind God of all that he has promised and all that he has done? Why does God need to be reminded by Moses, by a man, that it was they who blessed Abraham and Isaac? It was they who took Jacob and changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means to struggle and to wrestle with God. Well, remember that at their core, God is holy and utterly relational. And we're invited into that relational work. We're invited to be participants in the relational work of the kingdom of heaven. Moses and God are not adversaries here. They're collaborators in proclaiming the truth, enacting the mercy of the kingdom where it is needed the most. In scripture, Jesus repeatedly says that we can come to the Father and that the Father will do whatever we ask in Jesus' name. I mean, surely God could do it better himself. Surely God could just take care of it. And yet God asks us, to become participants, collaborators in this work. We have an open invitation, not for personal kingdom building, but for a bold advancement and establishment of God's true kingdom on earth. Through our prayers and through our actions, Jesus invites us, his disciples of all ages, throughout all time, to become active kingdom partners who live out the divine will of God in every aspect of our lives. Jesus says in John chapter 15, you are my friends if you do what I've asked. Those who do this and lay down their lives for me and for others will abide in my presence from here on out. We won't ever have to wonder where Moses went where God went. We've been invited into trust 
to join in to the partnership work. Allowing our prayers to join with the faithful throughout history, powerfully and efficiently and effectively enacting God's kingdom here and now. The message is not new this morning. The message is really what we preach every week. <laughs> Perhaps the reminder that's unique this morning is to recognize our tendencies, to kind of step in, kind of take things into our own hands. I recognize the tension here because I'm encouraging us not to step in, not to kind of take control and do it. And yet, while I'm also saying we're invited to step in and to work with God and to do the work, right? So the reminder isn't not to just sit back and check out. The invitation is to recognize God's work. Perhaps it's a change of heart. Perhaps it's a, a perspective of heart from which we join in that work. In closing this week, I would like us to engage in a prayer that's been impactful for me this week as I've been hearing this message and hearing this passage and working from it. On your sermon notes, let's see, where is it? It's on the third page of your sermon notes. It's called a prayer for those who worship the wrong thing. It comes from a book called Liturgies of Hope by Audrey Elledge and Elizabeth Moore. I'll just pray this for us, but it's printed there for you. This is one of those moments where it might be good just to follow along visually or if you'd like to just let these words wash over you. And then this is something you can take with you this week to sit in the midst of. Let us hear this prayer. Oh Lord, we were knit in the womb to worship, but how quickly our adoration splits and refracts when we cannot touch your face. Impatient, we trade our inheritance for pocket change, our banquet for scraps, our life for death. We've neither melted Gold, gold, nor carved from stone, but we have fashioned idols with our own hands. Master craftsmen, we are craving, thirsting, seeking what is not in you. We can list our golden calves by name, sex, money, power, comfort, approval. But, oh, Father, unclitch our fists so that we can see the false gods that we have made of your blessings, family, health, cities, location, coffee. <laughs> we confess the disordered loves that we have never examined. Oh Lord, we settle for so little. You are jealous. You are a jealous God. And your perfect love will not stand to see us on bended knees before any throne but your own. Help us to trust the nail-haunted hands that loosen our grip on what we have placed before you. O oh Christ, may we lose our appetite for artificial joy instead hungering for what is real. May we tire 
of serving multiple masters and ache for the affections of one. May we set the cross at the center of our gaze. May we proclaim with reordered hearts that only you can satisfy, that only you is our hope secure. May the emptiness of our own creations point us to the fullness of you. Amen.